if I can, if you can hear me, I'm going to ask you to uh, now stop being kind and friendly to one another. If you can be as rude as possible now, just ignore each other for a few minutes, that'd be great. Um, we're in a series in Galatians this term. And so as part of our series in Galatians, what we're actually trying to do is read through the book of Galatians together as we sort of preach through it. And so um, somebody's going to now come up and read through Galatians 5 for us. Is that you, Nathan? It is. Come on, then. Let's, can we welcome Nathan to the front? <laughs> can you pass him the mic, Jazz? Pass him your mic. Joe? Okay, thanks, Joe. I'm not used to being this side of the mic. I prefer setting them up, if I'm honest. So, okay, guys. Uh, so this is Galatians 5, Freedom in Christ. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that let yourselves be circumcised. If, I let you, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ, Jesus, neither circumcision or, nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. And for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. <laughs> you, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilling, fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, but the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want, but you are led by the spirit. You are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discourse, Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Good job, mate. Brilliant. Okay, so here, here we are. We're in Galatians. I'm not going to have time to go through the whole chapter, and I'm actually not going to cover the verse where Paul says that those who want to encourage you to be circumcised should chop off the whole lot, okay? We're not going there today. We can all have a laugh about that one now instead. But what I do want to do is I want to start with a picture. So can we put up the picture on the screen for me, please? So um, hand up. Who can tell me who painted this? Leonardo da Vinci. Who agrees with Jeremy? Put your hand up if you agree with Jeremy that this was painted by Leonardo da Vinci. Do we all agree? Yeah, we're sure about that. You're definitely sure this was painted by Leonardo da Vinci. I used to be an art teacher, by the way, so this is, this is bread and butter. It's a fake. Well done. Well done, Kim. You knew where I was going straight away. It's a fake. You're wrong, Jeremy Norman. Um, it, is, it is not Leonardo da Vinci. It's actually a painter called Mark Landis, and Mark Landis is a famous forger. Um, this wasn't included as part of his big forgery because it would have been too obvious. But what he did was, is he painted new works of art by existing artists and he offered them out to American universities for part of their art collections. And they obviously all thought they were getting these free, wonderful pieces of artworks. So they, they took them all in. And the amazing thing about this crime was that he got away with it. And he got away with it because he hadn't actually got any money from it. And so we don't know even today whether there are pieces of his work floating around and people think they're painted by the original artist and they're not actually their work at all. They're this guy, Mark Landis's work. So this is a forgery. This is a forgery of something that we all know. And what you find in Galatians, the book of Galatians, is that there is a forgery taking place of the gospel. So Galatians is a book all about this forgery of the gospel and how Paul, the apostle, who wrote quite a lot of the New Testament, wants to tell these Galatians not to listen or believe the forgery, but only to believe the real thing. So in order for me to really explain this today, I'm kind of aware today that there might be people who don't know Jesus, and so I do want to explain a few things to you as I go along today. And the first thing I want to explain is what the gospel is. And in order to do that, I just want to just point you to four questions that we all ask ourselves. So there are four questions we ask ourselves in life. So these four questions kind of go something like this. Who am I? Why am I here? What's wrong with the world? And how can what's wrong be made right? We all ask these questions at one stage or another in our lives. So what's the gospel then? What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news. The gospel is good news. And so any gospel, if you talk about any different kinds of gospel, should bring a sense of good news to it, because that's what the word means. It means good news. And any gospel claims freedom. It claims a sense of freedom over it, because it's good news to us. So we believe that the gospel, that the Christian gospel, actually answers the four questions I just gave you. And so if I can just tell you what the gospel is briefly, and then I'll give you the answers to those questions uh, in their entirety. But you can look at that if you want to as I'm carrying on. Um, so first of all, so how, does, what does the, how does the gospel work? Well, let's just imagine for a moment, I'm going to paint you a little kind of scenario. As Christians, we believe that God is a bit like a judge. In fact, he is a judge. And he's not any old judge. He's a really good judge. In fact, he's the best judge there could be because he wrote all of the laws and he abides by all of the laws because he wrote them. They're his rules and his regulations. And he's a good judge and he's a just judge. You know, we look at what's going on in the world around us today and we look at, um, we look at when 
people don't get justice, we get really affected by it, don't we? If we don't see justice for individuals that have been abused or, or misused, we get really upset about it because we all want justice. God is a just God. He brings justice and he makes good decisions. And the, the picture the Bible paints is that, that God is a judge and he makes these great decisions and he never makes any mistakes in terms of his judgments. But on the other hand, you and I find ourselves in a really precarious position. Imagine if we're in the courtroom and here is God the judge and he's seated at the judge's, the judge's table and he's got his gavel in his hand. You and I are the ones that are sitting in the dock, the offenders of a crime that we've committed. And the crime that we've committed is a rejection of God's ways. We've rejected God's laws. We've said, we don't want your laws, we want our own laws. We'll just ignore you and go after our own ways. So the Bible, Paul says in Romans chapter 3, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all done it at one stage or another. We've all rejected God's law and kind of done our own thing. And because God is a just God and doesn't like injustice, there's actually a punishment and a penalty that needs to come against the things that you and I do wrong. And we find in the Bible that that punishment and that penalty for the things that we do wrong is death. Death entered the world because of our lawlessness against a lawful God. But God is a good God. And so God sent his own son into the world who is able to completely, completely follow the law of God. He knows every letter of the law and he follows it completely. And so at that moment, if we're going back to our courtroom again, we've got God the judge in the dock. Now his son comes and sits beside us. And at the moment of the, the punishment being met out, handed out to us, the verdict being given... His son takes our place and says, I will take the punishment for them on their behalf. And we know what the punishment is, it's death. So this is where we get Easter. This is why we celebrate Easter in a couple of weeks' time. Because Christ takes our punishment on himself. He suffers the death that we were due to die because of God's right justice against us. And he takes it on himself. This is the amazing thing about Easter. And because of that, you and I can be free. This is the good news of the gospel. We're free from the things that we've done wrong. That's the amazing truth of the gospel. But it doesn't end there. Take my analogy a little bit further. Imagine that during the trial of your life, God finds out that you're not, you've not got any parents and that you're an orphan. And God says, I'm going to not just be a judge, I want to be your father. And God adopts you as his child. So this is the most amazing part of the Christian, the Christian kind of story in my mind. It's not that we're just free from sin, but we get adopted as children of God. We become his sons and his daughters. That's what we, we learn in scripture. If you want to go and read it, read Romans 8, and it talks about the fact that we have an inheritance. Because if you're a child, you should receive an inheritance. I hope that's the case for, for, for many of us, that when our parents die, we'll receive an inheritance. That should be the, the normal pattern of things. But there's an inheritance that we might be due to us. And we have the same with God. So what's the inheritance that we receive, we receive as God's children? Well, the first part is that we can know God today. That's an amazing part of the inheritance that we receive. But more than that, we believe that it goes beyond this life. Jesus didn't just suffer and die. He rose again to new life, demonstrating that he's defeated death. And we believe that as Christians, that because of that, what that means is that when we die, it's not the end for us. And in the immediate term, we go to be with Jesus in heaven, but there's actually even a, a bigger fulfillment of the, the hope that we have as Christians. And it's this, that one day Jesus Christ is going to come back and put all things right that we see wrong on the earth. And that we, as his children, are going to be with him forever on this earth. So 
our, our Christian hope isn't this kind of weird disembodied floating around heaven singing songs all the time type of reality. It's the promise that we will get to be here on the earth with Christ watching him reform it and shape it into what it was originally meant to be and more and that we will get to enjoy an eternity with him. That's the Christian hope that we believe in. And so it answers the four questions that I put up on the screen. I mean, you've got them up there now. You've probably been looking at them as I've been speaking. It answers those four questions. So who am I? Well, because of Jesus, I'm God's child. That's the answer to the question. Why am I here? Well, I'm here firstly. I'm here to be part of God's family. And I'm also here to bring glory to God. What's wrong with the world? Well, sin and brokenness is wrong with the world. We've, we've done what is wrong with the world. It's us. And how can it be put right? Well, first of all, it can be put right as, as we, God's people, bring about renewal. What does that mean? It means that as, as Christians, we believe that we're called to go out into the world and demonstrate what God looks like. Demonstrate the generosity of God. Demonstrate the good news of the gospel. Because the, the gospel should be good news. And we should be able to demonstrate it to those around us. And lastly, it is put right as Jesus returns. And as Christians, we don't know when Jesus is going to return. Jesus might return tomorrow. He might return in a thousand years' time. In fact, Jesus himself says in Matthew, the son doesn't know the day or the hour of his return. It's only held by the father. So we, it's not a good idea to try and guess when Jesus might come back. What it is a good idea to do is to live expectant, knowing that one day Jesus is coming back. And that's, that's the posture that we want to have as Christians. Okay, so this is the true gospel. This is what we believe as a church and we seek to affirm but the Galatians will experience a gospel forgery of this. If we can put the next slide up on the screen. There's a gospel forgery taking place in Galatia, and it looks something like this. And you heard it being read by Nathan. What was going on was that there was this group of Jewish Christians, converts to Christianity, and they were saying to this um, other group of Christians who weren't, who, weren't, um, who weren't Jews originally, they were Gentiles, they were being told that in order for them to be part of God's people, they needed to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses. So in this kind of false gospel, this is what they end up, the questions end up being answered like. Well, who am I? Well, I'm an add-on to God's people, the Jews. That's what they were being taught. Why am I here? Well, I'm here to try and earn my place. I'm here to try and earn favour with God. What's wrong with the world? Well, the problem's the same. It's sin and brokenness. But the way that I can put that problem right is knowing Jesus as my sacrifice, but also doing my best efforts to be a good person. That's the Galatian forgery of the gospel, in a nutshell. It's almost like going back to our law court scene for a second. In the Galatian forgery of the gospel, it's not enough um, just to, for Jesus to have, have taken our sin and punishment. It's almost like as that moment of punishment gets handed out, God says, you need to do some community service as well. That's, that's what the, the false Galatian gospel was teaching. But I would say that underneath, because I don't think that this is the, the thing that many of us struggle with today. I'm not asking you to be circumcised. Or worse still, emasculate yourselves completely, as Paul says. We're not doing that, okay? So what's, what's underneath it? What's the false gospel maybe of our age? Can we see another false gospel of our age underneath what's going on here? And I think we can, and I think it's the false gospel of self. I think that our culture, the biggest, the biggest gospel, false gospel narrative that we receive in our culture is the false gospel of self. There was a, um, a Greek philosopher called Protagoras. And Protagoras said this, man is the measure of all things. So not God, but man is the measure of all things. So go back to our courtroom scene. In this, in this reality, there is no judge apart from you. The judge is no longer in the chambers. It is just you. You are the person who gets to decide your own destiny, decide who you are, what it is about you. You are the measure of everything. 
You are the measure of all things. You get to decide. And so the gospel of self starts to answer the, the four questions I gave you in these ways. So in terms of the who am I question, the gospel of self starts to answer it in this way. It answers the who am I question with, well, I'm free to be me. I'm free to be me. I can do whatever I want to do. I am enough. I, I went into um, New Look recently, not for myself, um, but with Claire. She was at the till, and, she was, um, and I was looking at some tops in there, and one of the tops said, free to be me on it. This is like a mark of our culture. We hear this all the time. You are, live your, be your best you. Have you heard that? Be your best you, says our culture. So why are you here? Well, you're here to find yourself, whatever that means, and to satisfy your needs. That's why you're here. This is what the false gospel of self would teach us. What's wrong with the world? Well, it's mundane, and it doesn't excite me, so I need to get my kicks. I need to go out and live life to its fullest so that I can enjoy my life and get the most out of my life and my being. What's wrong with the world? Well, it's not good enough for me. That's, that's how the gospel of self would answer that question. How can what's wrong be made right? Well, as I self-discover who I am, as I go through a journey of self-fulfillment and my personal achievements, the world will change. As I put out my recycling every morning, the world is going to be a better place. The problem is that most people don't. Because we're selfish. This is kind of like the whole point. The gospel of self offers something to us. We're being, being promised something in the gospel of self. And that promise is, is, that, is that if you dig down and go on a journey of self-discovery, you get to be happy and fulfilled. It's meant to bring you freedom. That's what a gospel is meant to do. But this gospel doesn't bring you freedom. It actually brings you the opposite. It brings you slavery. And this is what Paul says in Galatians 5 verse 1. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The gospel of self, the gospel of our age, that just teaches that you don't need anything but you in order to be happy, will end up not making you free. It'll end up making you enslaved. It'll end up making you enslaved. And there are some kind of hallmarks of this gospel, what this looks like, what it, it kind of, almost what it looks like to worship at the gospel of self. And Paul starts to list them. And they're listed in Galatians 5, verses 19 to 21. And it says this, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He says, this is what it looks like to live in the gospel of self. You'll engage in all of these practices. And all of these practices, by engaging them, you think you're going to become free. If you engage in some of these practices, in fact, even, even in today's culture, look, I mean, just take the idea of drunkenness for a second. When I was 16 or 17, I was waiting for being able to be 18 and be able to go out and get absolutely off my face because that was a mark of freedom. Great, I can get drunk because I'm 18. That was like what it meant to be free. What it meant to be free was to engage in drunkenness. We are taught these things in our culture. Now, Paul uses lists a lot in his writing. Okay? So if you, if you like to read the Bible, which you should do if you're a Christian, if you like to read the Bible, you'll discover that Paul uses lists. And most of the time when Paul uses a list, he is not being exhaustive. What I mean by that is he's, he's just giving you a flavour. And at the end here in, in Galatians 5.21, we see he uses the words, and the like, which for us would be etc., etc. Because 
in their kind of literary culture, they didn't use bullet points. Now, I think we can bullet point the areas that Paul lists here into three different areas that I think are, are almost um, temples of the worship of self. So the first temple that I would kind of point you towards today is this need for sexual fulfillment. Our culture places sexual fulfillment as one of the highest priorities for life. If you are not being sexually fulfilled, you are not able to discover the real you or ever be really happy. Sexual fulfillment is the pinnacle of existence in our culture. You see it all the time. If you're not finding or enjoying sex, then you can't be happy. That's the assumption that is made. And so in order for you to be happy, you need to go on a journey of sexual discovery and sexual fulfillment. But so often that leads to tragedy of abuse. It leads to the tragedy of broken relationships. It leads to the tragedy of, of not feeling like you're enough for somebody else. Sexual fulfillment in that way ends up finding its place and it ends up just leading you into slavery. You know, sex is good. It's a good thing. God created it. But God created it to exist as a symbol of what it means for Christ to love the church. And so sex in a Christian context exists between a married relationship of a man and a woman. Sexual fulfillment isn't found outside of that. It's, it's just going to digress away from what God has intended for it. Second one, self-determined spirituality. Paul talks about idolatry and witchcraft in this text. The danger of our culture and the gospel of self is that we self-determine spirituality. We self-determine it. So we kind of think, well, do you know what? Actually, what you believe and what I believe, they can be different from one another. And that's absolutely fine. You're free to believe what you believe about this. And I'm free to believe what I believe about this. That's self-determining our own future or what is truth. And what it ends up is, is a culture of pluralism. Many ways lead to God's. But this isn't what we learn in the Bible. In fact, actually, Jesus says, I'm the only way to the Father. No one comes to him except through me. Self-determined spirituality leads us nowhere. But there is a danger, church, is that we can engage in these things as well. I didn't say about the first one. There's a danger that we can even try and engage in this idea of sexual fulfillment as Christians. And so what we do is a way of kind of engaging with this gospel of sexual fulfillment. I'll get to the second one again in a minute because I missed this point. It's important. We can try and engage with this gospel of sexual fulfillment, a gospel of self and sexual fulfillment, by promoting marriage above its place that it finds in Scripture. Because we can assume that in, almost in answer to the culture's idea for sex, what we do is we say, well, everybody needs to be married then. Because the, here's the Christian answer, everybody needs to be married. But Paul says it's better to be single than to be married. We can end up placing these things as a higher priority than actually they should be, trying to answer this false gospel that we see around us. And the same thing, we can do it with self-determined spirituality as well. We can allow that thinking to creep into us as Christians. Because what we can do is we can say, well, do you know what? You can believe what you believe about the Bible, and I'll believe what I believe about the Bible. I did a master's in theology last year, and um, I was surprised to find so many Bible scholars now have walked away from the idea that the Bible is God's word. And so now it's just a collection of thoughts and opinions. And they can kind of say, well, this means this to me, and that means that to me. And it's like, no, it does actually have a meaning to it. There is actually something objective about it. It does have truth behind it. The danger is we can all end up engaging in these things if we're not careful. Self-determined spirituality was the second one. And the last one is the misuse of creation. So I spoke about drunkenness already. We can also misuse creation in another way, though. We can misuse creation by um, not really caring about it and just using it for our own ends. Why are we in this climate change situation that we're in at the moment? I mean, we've had like four seasons in like three hours over the last few days, didn't we? I mean, what, what was that about? You go, oh, it's climate change. 
Why, why have we got climate change? We've got climate change because we've all listened to the gospel of self. We care more about ourselves and how we can get things out of life than, than the world that God's given us. And we can't see an end to climate change, whether it actually ends or not. It's, it's down to whether or not we reject this, the idea that we all just go after our own things or not, and we start listening to one another. I don't think we can do it. Personally, gosh, that sounds really sorry. That sounds really dark, doesn't it? I don't think we're ever, ever going to get there. I don't think we will because I think we've been taught to just love ourselves more than other people. And the problem is unless everybody actually commits to it, it won't change. And that's what they're finding. That's the struggle that they're finding. Okay, so we've got this. I've painted you quite a bleak picture in some ways here, this gospel of self and what it ends up entailing. But what's Paul's solution to this problem? How does it kind of work itself out? What, what should we do? Well, look. First of all, let's just look at what it says in Galatians 5, verse 13. It says this, You brothers and sisters were called to be free, so therefore don't use your freedom again to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. He says, folks, as Christians, you're not called to the gospel of self. You're called to the true gospel. And the true gospel is outworked as we love one another. That's the first thing he says. But then actually he gives an even greater antidote to this, gospel, this false gospel of self. And the, the great antidote given in scripture to the gospel of self is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And so if we were to read Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What's Paul talking about here? Paul says actually just before this that we need to walk in the Spirit. What's this about then? Well, Go back to our courtroom analogy. Here we have us. Jesus is with us. God in the dock. What we find in scripture is that, now looking at it in kind of history, Jesus goes back to be with God again. And he says at that point, he sends another to come and be with us, and that is the Spirit. As Christians, we have all been given a gift, and it's the gift of God himself coming to live inside of us, his presence with us. We've been given the gift. But my first question to you is, have you received the gift of the Spirit? It's the same question Paul asks a group of Christians in Acts 19. Have you received the gift of the Spirit? Now, we use different terminology for that. Some of us would call that baptism in the Spirit. Some of us would call that an initial infilling of the Spirit's power. Have you received the Spirit? Have you received the gift that you've been given? Because if you haven't, you're going to struggle to live this out. If you haven't, you're going to struggle to be able to walk free from the gospel of self and walk in the freedom of Christ gives you. You're going to struggle. Secondly, if you have received a gift, if you have opened it, what Paul then says to us is that we need to walk by the Spirit and allow the Spirit room to grow within us. We now need to allow the Spirit room to grow within us. Now, you've been noticing all morning this wonderful plant that I've put on stage here, and here's my final analogy for the morning. I'm just going to have a sip of water as I forgot about that. At the start of lockdown two years ago, I went into super home teacher mode. And I thought that I could teach my children every subject, including biology. And um, so I said, wouldn't it be great, kids, if we could grow an avocado into a plant? And so we bought some avocados, which we loved eating, and then we stripped off the out of husk of the thing. This is really complicated. If you want to learn how to do this, watch YouTube, but I'll tell you now. And you put some cocktail sticks around it, and you balance it in a jar of water, and then gradually it cracks open, a root forms down, a stalk forms down, and you've got a little avocado plant. It's amazing. And then after two years and some soil and lots of hard work, it's got to this point here. Isn't it beautiful? Thank you very much. <laughs> I knew I was going to make it one day. <laughs> so 
my hope is that one day this bears fruit. But it's really interesting to watch it in the water grow down. You saw these roots start to form and it took root. We need to, as Christians, allow the Holy Spirit to take root in our lives and grow within us. Now, the Holy Spirit is not a plant. He is a person. I wouldn't want to dishonor him at this point. But what I would encourage you to do is to think of the fact that that you need to allow God room in your life. You need to allow God space in your life just the way that you would give a, a space to a plant and you would water a plant. You would spend time caring for it. You need to tend to your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because as the Holy Spirit just goes about, as you just spend time going about spending time with the Holy Spirit and saying, Holy Spirit, come and fill me, the outworking of that is that things start to change in your life. You start to realise that you're receiving the antidote to a self-led culture. It's like it starts to get given to you. You don't have to work for it or strive for it. All you're doing is just tending to the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. And you're saying, come Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Come Holy Spirit, come and be with me. And as you do that, the Holy Spirit starts to do things in your life and starts to work out and inside of you. And the things that he starts to produce are are the things that Paul lists here. Gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. In another version of the Bible, it uses the word generosity. God starts to produce these fruit within you. And what are these wonderful things about these fruit? These fruit are the antidote to our culture's need for for the self. And as we start to engage them and start to receive them in our lives, we start to be able to share it with others. We start to demonstrate what it looks like for not to love ourselves, but to love other people. Paul says this earlier on in Galatians 5. Love others. Love your neighbour as yourself. He's quoting Jesus. You see, the answer isn't loving ourselves. The answer is, is loving God and loving others as ourselves. And we can do that empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit. So in closing today, two things. Maybe you're not a Christian today. Maybe you just think, oh gosh, I want to find out more about this faith thing that they believe in. Um, Come and speak to us at the end. We run Alpha courses, which are an opportunity to explore the Christian faith. I'd love to point you to one one of those. But for the rest of us here who are Christians, I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit just to come and fill you again this morning as we finish our time together, because I know we've run over. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for today. We thank you that you're here by your presence. We thank you that, Holy Spirit, you, you bring freedom. We thank you that the true gospel is Jesus and nothing else. And we thank you that, Holy Spirit, we can receive your goodness and your freedom in our lives. And we say, Holy Spirit, today, we want to allow you space in us to come and produce your work within us. And so I pray right now, come and fill us again. I pray right now, come and knock out anything in us that is the gospel of self, the gospel of self-fulfillment, the gospel of self-discovery. And Lord Jesus, you would plant your gospel in us, the gospel that is all about you. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just bear this fruit in our lives. This week, self-control, goodness, gentleness, kindness, patience. Holy Spirit, that we could demonstrate to the world around us, to the broken world around us, what the real gospel looks like. Amen. Amen. Well, we are going to close our time there together. So um, 